0: And so, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it will be up on the screens for you. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father and gracious God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you together as the church. Lord, I pray that in this moment you speak through me as you only know how. Lord, take away all of the distractions in this moment. Take away all of uh, the The darkness that's in our heart that will prevent us from hearing this message and lord just open up our hearts So that all of us can hear What your word truly says about the book of revelation Lord, I pray this prayer over today But through the rest of this series that we truly see that revelation is a book of hope and courage Not a book to be feared for it's in jesus name. We pray. Amen so about a year ago, um Uh, I follow this pastor named Matt Chandler. He's a pastor over at the Village Church in uh, Dallas, Texas. He has a very large church there. And um, as I listened to some of his sermons, he started this Revelation series last year. And if you want the links to it, I can provide you those links. But uh, just to make sure that I'm covering myself, much of these sermons reflect the thoughts and the ideas of what he said during his series. And so you're more than welcome to go and check him out. I, I recommend him as a, a pastor. He's a good, solid biblical teacher. Um, I like to think of myself as one, but if you don't, go to Matt Chandler because he is very, very good. Uh, but he he went through this series through Revelation, and up to that point, I kind of avoided the book of Revelation. It was one of those things that I didn't quite understand the meaning behind it. Um, I looked at all the images and I'm like, wow, this is weird. Like this is actually in the Bible, but I don't know how to interpret it. I don't know how to deal with it. And honestly, Revelation has become one of those books that us as Christians tend to avoid reading and studying, but we really like to quote when things are getting bad in the world. And honestly, most of the time when I see revelation used by Christians today in 2022, it's to scare people into converting into Christianity or it's used as an excuse to not do something. Now, or to get other people to not do something. For example, you probably saw this if you're on any type of social media platform, but COVID-19 hit, they created a vaccine. And whether or not you got the vaccine, that's up to you, that's your own opinion. Just don't drag the Bible into it. Because there are so many Christians that loosely interpreted the mark of the beast and said, that's the vaccine, that's the COVID-19 vaccine, that's a bunch of nonsense. Don't loosely, be careful loosely, or not translating, but loosely interpreting what Revelation says and trying to uh, uh, put ourselves in the book. And because of this, and Because of other things that movies have shown us, if you got uh, on the Left Behind series, you probably saw the book of Revelation as something to be feared because you were fearing that you might be one that's left behind. Or you feared that you would have to deal with um, what we call the rapture and the seven years and all that stuff, which we'll get to later in the series, but you feared that you wouldn't make the cut or that you would have to go through something very hard and you feared what might happen if we lived in the end times. But Revelation wasn't meant to be written as a book to be feared and to cast fear into people's hearts. After reading this book, you're not supposed to fear the future. You're supposed to have courage. You're supposed to have a hope like no other. And instead, you should see that the battle that we are all facing right now has already been won. Victory has already been declared for those who follow Christ. Those who follow Christ will be made victorious by the one who died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. That Christ will have the ultimate victory at the end of all time and He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering for those who are faithful and obedient to Him. And all of us who are faithful and obedient will have eternal life. This is what the book of Revelation was meant to do. So that's what we're going to be talking about through this series. And I'll start off by saying this too. We are not going through the book of Revelation because of the war in Ukraine or because of the mass shootings that have been happening. We are not going through the book of Revelation because I'm seeing the world, and I'm watching the news, and I'm like, everything is horrible. It's been horrible for years, right? We're going through the book of Revelation so that you can be awakened to the hope that lies in Jesus Christ, so that you can be awakened to your faith and your courage to go and fight the good fight of faith. Because in the time that the book of Revelation was written, it gave them hope. It gave them a battle cry of hope so that they continued to go through and deal with the intense persecution that they were facing. And so in Revelation chapter 1, we find an introduction to what the book of Revelation is all going to be about. John received this vision from God, and he was instructed to write it down. And so the first three chapters are written to the seven churches, in that time, in that place, from four to the end of the book, uh, chapter four to the end of the book, what those are? Those are all of the visions that John received and that he wrote them down as he saw them. And so, the book of Revelation is three things: it's a letter, it's a prophecy, and it's a piece of—and I always pronounce it wrong—apocalyptic literature. I said it right that time. I, I always have to think about it, right? Like, I'm from Indiana, so I had to think about it some. Um, But it's those three things. So we find in verse 4, if you look at verse 4 in your Bibles, you'll see that it's addressed as John. John to the churches, to the seven churches. So it's a letter written to a specific people at a specific time. Which what that means is that the book of Revelation cannot mean to us what it doesn't mean to them. Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. So that's why I'm confident in saying the COVID-19 vaccine is not the mark of the beast because they didn't have a COVID-19 vaccine. They probably have very little vaccines to begin with. And so a simple way to start reading the Bible is just to approach the Bible in this way. The Bible is not written to us, directed to us. It's written for us to read and to study. The book of Revelation, like all the letters from Paul, they cannot mean something different to us than it didn't mean to them. So Christians tend have this tendency to put themselves in the Bible, to put themselves in Scripture instead of seeking what Scripture is actually meaning to the people group that it was written to and then applying it to our own life. And so as we go through this book of Revelation, we have to be careful to look at it through the eyes of the reader of that time. See what it means to them or what it meant to them and then apply it to our own lives. It was written for us, but not to us. It wasn't directed to us. You don't see John saying, John to the, uh, to the church in Poole, Kentucky, named Shady Grove General Baptist Church. No, it's to the seven churches. So it was written for us to study and to read and to apply to our lives. And so we have to also keep in mind... That when John wrote, the time is near, which were words from Jesus, we have to keep in mind that the people of the time in 96 AD believed that the end was truly near. That it could come at any moment. The end of all evil, the end of all pain, the end of all suffering, and the persecution that they were dealing with. What you don't see God say is that in 2,156 years, everything's going to be great. right? How cruel would that be? For the people of that time to say, Oh, so we've been dealing with persecution for over 30 years, and in 2000 years, everything's going to be awesome. That doesn't give you hope or courage, right? If, if this is a very low, low expectation of, um, of illustration, but if I told you that I received a prophecy from God that gas prices are going to be under a dollar in 2000 years, wow, is that really going to give you a lot of hope? That in between all the 2,000 years, it's going to be horrible. Gas prices are going to continue to go up. But in 2,000 years, it's going to be great. It's going to be under a dollar again. Right? That doesn't give you any hope or courage. It's like, huh, you know, that's fine for them. How's that affect me? How's that help me? Right? So what much, much of what we want is that God just tells us, in this year, it's the end. Right, this year is is what the end is. Not this year, but you know, whatever year it is. We want to know that information. But what God is like is it's not going to encourage you if it's thousands of years later. It's not going to give you hope and courage. And so for them in that time, they're hearing the time is near that persecution was about to end, that their savior was about to come back and, and overcome all of Rome. So that they could live free and so they held on to this hope and this is what god wants you to do through this book is to hold on to hope that despite all the darkness that we face in this world there is light there is light in the darkness and we can hold on to that light now like i said earlier this letter was written in 96 a.d where the church has been under intense persecution for over three decades Between 65 and 67 AD, the Roman emperor of the time Nero started the first round of these intense persecutions on Christians by the Roman government. Now, if you look in the book of Acts, all all the churches that are going, they're exploding. They're having thousands numbered daily. And their persecution that they're dealing with at that time is from the Jewish leaders, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees kind of giving them some type of religious persecution. They continued to do this, but the Roman government in 65 to 67, somewhere around there, got really involved in persecuting Christians. And the persecution went in with Nero. The emperor following him and the emperor's to follow them for the three-decade period would inflict persecution on Christians for these three decades, a little over three decades. And this is what the churches were going through, that when they received this letter from John, this revelation from John, this is the hope that they had, that they've been dealing with this for 30 30 years, and now they have something that they can hold on to. Christ is coming back. He will be victorious, and we will be victorious alongside Him. Now, I do want to say this. When I say persecution a lot of christians maybe not necessarily you will think oh well i'm being persecuted because someone doesn't agree with me uh, i'm being persecuted because of this person really gets mad when i bring up my faith i'm being persecuted because of this or that or a large part of the roman persecution wasn't making fun of christians wasn't passing laws that directly affect christian views and beliefs and preferences Persecution was not the government trying to keep Christians out of their houses of worship during a pandemic. What persecution was for them is far more gruesome and terrifying, something that we have never experienced here in America. Now, if you want vivid descriptions, there are plenty of resources out there. All you have to do is search up one Google search, and you'll find a a ton of resources telling you all the gruesome details. But just to give you a few of them, there's this idea that as Romans, they would uh, starve wolves, they would starve dogs, they would starve lions, all these other carnivores. They would starve nearly to death. And they would gather all of the Roman people into a stadium, into a colosseum, and they would put the Christian in the middle, put a group of Christians in the middle, and they would release all of these animals. And the entire Roman civilization would watch them be eaten alive. And they would cheer there are some cases where they would actually dip Christians in oil, and they'd hang them up on posts, and they'd light them on fire so that they could light the streets. This is the intense persecution that they had been dealing with for 30 years. Right? Some of us, we had to stay at home for a year, and we lost our mind. they have been dealing with this for 30 years. And so to say that we are being persecuted here in 2022 in America is a slap in the face to what they were dealing with in 96. But the church, during all of this time, continued to serve. They continued to pray. They continued to to reach out and, and help the needy and the poor. 70 AD was probably one of the worst years that they ever had because it's in 70 AD that Jerusalem, their city, their their highest religious city was destroyed. It was flattened, it was leveled. Paul, Peter, and Timothy, all were publicly executed that year. Three of the major ones who started the early church all died that year. But the church continued to have the hope that maybe when the next emperor comes, this will be better. Maybe when the next emperor comes, it will be different. And it always just seemed to get worse. So when they get this letter, you could imagine that it would give them hope that after we've dealt with this for 30 years, Christ is coming back. We can hold on to that. We can can start fighting to that because we know that Christ is coming. And so it gave them hope and courage knowing that the time is near for Christ to return and save them from all of this. And I say all this to you so that you understand a little bit about the early church and what they were dealing with and why everything seems so messed up when we get to the letters next week. But a quick thing about Revelation also is that it's not in order. The visions that you see are not in order. And the way that you study this, and Matt Chandler puts it best, he says it's like windows. God opens a window for us to look through and see something and then that window closes and another window opens and we go and we look at it but the two windows could be 90 years apart and so for an example of this is revelation chapter 12 all the way in chapter 12 it reads this a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth then another sign appeared in heaven An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Yes, okay. I added an extra verse to my notes, but I'm not going to go through that. So all the way in chapter 12, we see a vision of what happens on Christmas morning. We, we see this window open and we see a glimpse into the spiritual side of what's happening on that silent night, right? Revelation is a much different story than what we see in, in Matthew and in Luke, right? It, it's completely different. Right, we, we go to Christmas and we're singing Silent Night, Silent Night and we're wondering if Mary knows what this baby's about to do. Revelation is like, Mary, don't you know what's happening? Like this dragon's about to devour your child. And this, is, this vision that he's seeing is happening 90 years before it even comes to be written. See, but then you see this moment where the dragon is about to go and approach the child as the child is being born. If you look in chapter 14, this other window opens and we see this vision of the dragon coming towards, making an advancement towards the child and the child destroys the dragon. Right. So two chapters later, we see this vision of what happened like 30 seconds after Jesus was born in chapter 12. So they're, it's all kind of randomized is what it seems like. And so as we go through this book, we also have to think in the back of our minds, it's not what happens next because it's not necessarily in order. It's what John sees next that's important. And so pay pay very close attention when you go and you study this at home like we did with the book of Romans. I want you to go and study Revelation chapter 1 throughout this week. But as you go and you study on your own, pay very close attention to where John says, and I turned and saw, and I turned and saw, and I saw this, And then I saw that. Or when John says, and then I heard. Because those are very key moments. Those are the moments where the windows are being opening or are being open to what God wants us to see. Revelation is also a piece of apocalyptic literature, which in its basic form is prophecies about the end times, talking about the end times. Apocalyptic literature is strange to us because it includes so much imagery, right? Us as a people here in America, we're, we're more like fact-based. We just want to know the facts. We, we want to know what, what year this person was alive, when this event took place. We want to know in order. We're very linear. We, we want to see how it builds on each other. And this isn't how the book of Revelation is it's very image oriented which at that time was how people learned right we learn and we see two plus two equals four what they see or how they learned was they would put an image and they would put some type of thing with the number two and then they would have another image for the other two and then they would have a different image for the four and that's how they would learn right not necessarily with math but you kind of get the picture They learned with images. We learn with facts, and so it's different to us. But animal images in apocalyptic literature tend to represent people, groups, or places. Historical events are often represented through natural natural phenomenon like earthquakes. And colors and numbers have meanings behind them. And so, as we go through this study, we'll. Uh, dive into some of what these numbers, what these images are representing, what some of the colors and numbers are are representing. And these images are meant to inform you; they're they're to teach you something, but they're also to spark and provoke you for something, right? So when you think of of a dragon coming towards your own children, you're probably ready to fight. You're you're provoked when you see that image and you think about that image and you're using your imagination to think of this dragon that's coming towards your king and your savior. You're ready to go and fight him. This is what the images are meant to do. They they provoke something deeper in you that isn't necessarily explained in words. Gives us an extra layer to things. And so with Revelation 12... With the dragon and the child, it shows the reality of the spiritual war at that moment. That even though it was a silent night, even though it was a silent night and there was a manger and, and there's the baby being born and we like to think of that sweet moment as, the, as the, uh, the star is shining through the hole in the manger, like we all have that image and it's shining directly on Jesus, right? While that's happening in the spiritual unseen realm, there's this dragon waiting to devour the child and so these two things are happening right now right now we're in this moment we're in a church but there's a spiritual war that's actually happening right before our eyes that we just can't see spiritual war in your own minds in your own thoughts right some of you are probably trying to not keep distracted right there's a war happening in your mind right as 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 i speak for you to to try and uh, decipher what God is telling you versus what Satan is trying to tell you. And so all of us, we deal with the spiritual war. And what apocalyptic literature is meant to do is it anchors our present reality, our present seen reality, by giving us a picture of our future and present spiritual reality. And I know that's a, a very deep sentence that you kind of have to, to unwind and figure out but what i'm saying is what this book is meant to do is to anchor you in where you are right now so that you can see the world around you but you can also see what's happening on the outside what's happening in a spiritual sense of things and so for for the um the shootings that happened right it, it anchors you in seeing what is physically happening in our world but it also anchors you and presents you with images that there is a spiritual warfare happening in all of the minds of or in the mind of the shooter there's a spiritual war happening there's evil at work and the the issue is not guns the issue is not control the issue is spiritual The issue is not about anything that we could do physically to help them. It is about leading them to the one who can. And it's having that sense, but also knowing and knowing that our future reality is that Jesus will come back and all of this nonsense that we see that's evil in the world will be no more. We'll have to deal with the, the grief and the loss of people because there will be no more mass shootings. There will be no more wars because Jesus will come and he will bring peace. He will bring love and he will end all evil. Your spiritual enemy, Satan, is trying to rob you of the hope, love, and joy that comes from this book by trying to get you to only see your own personal reality. The things that, how you interpret how other people are saying things. How you interpret the, the, the mean things that people are, are trying to push at you. Right? Satan wants you to focus on that he wants you to focus on the people that are doing it instead of him who's hiding in the background. He wants you to focus on what you can see so that you are blinded by the spiritual reality of war that is happening. Because whenever you're not aware of the spiritual war that's happening in your life and in other people's lives, you start to hate the people and the circumstances and there's no love in that. You start to see the person and the circumstance and the situation that you're in as the enemy instead of seeing that God will take care of you and that even though there is a war and there is a a, a spiritual war and there's evil at work, that God will overcome it. And so John is sending this letter to make the churches aware of their current state during their persecution, but also the unseen reality as well as what the future will hold, is that even though there is evil at work, one day there will be no more evil. We will have victory in Jesus. So as we're going through the book of Revelation, I'm hoping that you might be awakened to the current state of where we are in 2022, to our physical reality that we can see, which we're all very well aware of, but also the spiritual side of things, to see that this is not one person versus another, it is Satan versus God. It is Satan versus Christians. And we as Christians, we have to rise up, we have to wake up, and we have to go and fight this war. The greatest threat to the enemy is when the sleeper is awakened, when the lost is found, when the ones who have been dead in their faith rise up and they are alive in their faith and their obedience to God. This is the greatest threat to the enemy. And my prayer for this church is that we become awake. That we become aware of the war that we are in and that we fight the good fight. And I'm not just saying that, uh, you know, you fight the good fight and you go and you sit down in your own closet and you read the Bible and you pray, but that you do it with intentionality, knowing that you can change things through your prayers. I'm talking about living as Christ. Because Christ is our life. He wasn't meant to be an add-on. He wasn't meant to be a top priority in our list of things. You know, when we look at our finances, when we look at our situations and environments that we're placed in, we look at our children, grandchildren, family, friends, strangers, we should see it as an opportunity to serve christ in the early church in the middle of intense persecution they didn't say jesus is first i'm second then it's my family my friends and my job that didn't get them through it no they knew that christ was their life and they they didn't make this list of priorities jesus was all of it he was all of their priorities Right? I'm faithful to my family because Christ is faithful to me. I'm loving to my friends and my enemies because Christ is loving to me. Right, And the list would just continue on to where everything that they did was all for the glory of God. And what this did was they were aware of the spiritual war and they charged the gates of hell in their obedience to God. They fought alongside the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the point to where Rome would eventually become very largely a Christian nation. I want our church to be so obedient to God that we are a threat to the enemy in our present, that's present in our community right now, that's present in your family's lives and your friends' lives. I want our church to show that light does penetrate the darkness and the darkness will never be able to overcome it. That we as a church, we... Stand up and we advance against the gates of hell, fighting alongside Jesus, knowing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church because Jesus declared it. Jesus has already overcome. So the battle is already done. And as I close today, I want to invite you to take this moment. Take this moment and invite you into the battle that we are facing. The battle that we're facing as a church and you are facing as an individual. Some of you in this room, you've been battling with something. Something's been going on in your life and it's not been seen. It's probably only been seen by you. And I want you to know that it's not the person, it's not the thing, it is Satan. He is the enemy and we need to focus. We have to have laser focus on charging against him. Not against the person, not against the situation. We are fighting a spiritual war. And So for those of you who have been battling something, Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a worry for a friend or a family member. Maybe it's a battle for your finances as we're dealing with inflation. Maybe it's a broken relationship or a temptation in your life. Whatever it may be, I invite you today to be present in the spiritual battle that you're in. To fight alongside the church and fight alongside Christ to overcome your worries, your anxieties, and your fears. And to see that victory is near. Victory in this church and this community is near. And if that's you, I'd invite you to come up to the altar as we sing this last song. If you feel compelled to, to actually make a physical step to come up to the altar, I invite you to come up here because the altar is open. Come with someone that you know and pray victory over whatever situation or person you're thinking of right now. And if you aren't a Christian, I want to invite you to repent of your sins to believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. And I want you to join us in the battle that this church is facing. Be awakened, and let's bring an awakening to this community. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and be aware of the spiritual war that we're in. As we're taking this journey through Revelation this week, waging war on the gates of hell through this, through this revival that's coming up. Lord, I pray very desperately that you bring an awakening to these people, that you bring an awakening to myself and to this community. Lord, I know that you're capable of such great and mighty things. And Lord, I am ready for you to see it. I'm ready for us to see it. I'm ready for us to see that victory that you have promised us. Lord, I'm thankful for this day. Lord, continue to speak through me and speak through these these people as they go and they share your word and they make people awakened to the spiritual reality that we are in a war and evil is not winning. Even though it may seem like evil's winning, evil is not winning because you have already won. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.